Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. And as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 8, I wanted to say thank you to the elders here at Leroy for inviting me to preach. Um, uh, it's a privilege anytime you get to open up God's Word to His people. And uh, as I prayed and prepared for this message, I trust that the Lord will use it to bless you and that the Lord will use it to strengthen your faith. Um, just a little bit about me real quick. Uh, name, my name is Josh Ramirez. I made, uh, married Abby, then Bennett, but now Ramirez. So I'm in the Bennett family, so pray for me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, th this church has, uh, has actually been a huge blessing to me. Even though I only get to be here a couple times per year as we visit, uh, this church has been a huge blessing to the Bennett family and has impacted and shaped that family. And uh, I receive so many benefits from that, being married into that family that's healthy, that's loving. Uh, yeah, so you guys, uh, maybe not known to you, but you guys have been a blessing to my own life. Uh, so thank you for that. Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord." For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more." In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus, our great high priest who is there serving as priest in your presence, interceding on our behalf. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your better ministry of this new covenant. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that we have in you. I pray that your spirit would be at work through your word. Give me clarity of speech, and as a church, give us clarity of hearing your word. 
and your voice, and may you transform our lives, our lives by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this series through the book of Hebrews is titled, Jesus is Better. Jesus is Better, and just giving a quick recap of the book, chapter 1, we see Jesus is better than the angels. Chapter 2, Jesus is a better foundation for your salvation. Chapter 3, Jesus is better than Moses. Chapter 4, Jesus is a better rest. Chapter 5 and 6 and 7, Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a better high priest. And what we're coming to now in chapter 8, and this is also chapters 9 and 10, is a teaching that Jesus is a better priest in a better temple and mediates a better covenant. So Jesus is better in all these ways. Uh, I love the way that Dr. Thomas Schreiner sums up the book of Hebrews. He says, Jesus is better, therefore do not fall away. Jesus is better, therefore do not fall away. The point of all the teachings in Hebrews is Jesus is so great that you should look nowhere else for salvation. Jesus is so much better that there's salvation nowhere else. He's better. Don't fall away from him. So the application of this book of what not to do is don't fall away. But in these verses here, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, there, there comes a positive instruction. Instead of falling away, here's what you're supposed to do. So I would have you look with me briefly at chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Instead of falling away, because Jesus is better, here's what you should do instead. In chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, first application, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Second application, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Third application, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The application I'd like us to focus on in chapter 8, and what I want us to be thinking about in chapter 8 is, how does this chapter, how does the teaching here in this chapter of Scripture encourage us to draw near to God? How does it encourage us to draw near to God? If we're not going to fall away, well then we need to be close to the Lord. We need to draw near to Him. And the first application then is, believer, I want you to draw near to God because Jesus is your high priest. Because Jesus is your high priest. Look at verse 1 again of chapter 8. It says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne in the majesty in heaven. Now, if you're someone who, who likes to write in your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline the words, we have. The point of what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest. Now, the, the teaching in Scripture, the Scriptures assume that everybody needs a priest. Everybody that has ever existed, ever, 
needs a priest. And, and why is that? Well, first off, priests, they're, they're supposed to be holy. They're set apart from people. They're, they're unique people in the world. And not only that, they, they offer sacrifices. They are mediators. They, they offer sacrifices to bring peace with the people and God. This is what the priests are supposed to do. And if you're here today and you think, I, I don't think I need a priest, well, then let me suggest that perhaps you don't have a correct view of God or of yourself. If you're someone who doesn't think you need a priest, well, then it's possible that you don't have the correct view of who God is or who you are, and most likely it would be both. Because the Bible assumes that everybody needs a priest. Now, a correct view of who God is would know that God is the creator of everything, that God is all good, God is all glorious. I mean, look at today, there's sun shining through the windows. That's God, right? God made this. God did this whole creation, and he made you and I in his image. He made everybody to have a relationship with him. And he's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He is a good God, a God full of love and justice and mercy and grace. And yet, being a good God, he doesn't let sin slide under the rug. He always deals with it. He always deals with it in a just manner. He always deals with it righteously. And because of that, we need a priest. Now, maybe, maybe you think, I believe that about God, but I'm, I'm a pretty good person. So I, I, that, that's great that God is that way, but I'm pretty sure he'll accept me. And, and that's why I said, well, maybe if you don't think you need a priest, then perhaps you don't have the proper view of yourself. Because the scriptures teach that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We were made to live in relationship with this God. We were made to live in a relationship with the one who made us, the one who's all good, all glorious, all loving, in our, in our family life, in your relationships with your spouse and with your children. You're made to do that with God. In your work throughout the week, you're created to do that with God. In your leisure time, in your hobbies, you're made to do that with God because we were created for Him. And so if, if we are made for God, and yet we have fallen short of His glory, our sins then will have separated us from Him. And so you're not living the way you were made to live. You're missing out on the most fundamental relationship that you're made to have, and that is with the God who made you and who loves you and who wants you to be in a relationship with Him. And so you need a priest. Everybody needs a priest, someone who will take away our sins. Now, at the end of chapter 7 in Hebrews, uh, verses 26 through the end of the chapter there, he talks about the kind of priest we need. Everybody needs a priest, and he says, here's the kind of priest we need. First, we need a priest who's holy. We need a priest who is sinless. We need a priest who doesn't need a priest for himself or a sacrifice for himself to be accepted by God. Also, we need a priest who can conquer death, a priest who will never die, because if we have a holy priest, but then he dies, we're going to get a bad one. <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, just like the elections, right? It's coming around. <laughs> You might have a good president, but it's only going to last for a couple years, maybe, and then you got a bad one. Or you have a bad president, it's only going to last a couple years, and who knows, maybe you'll get a worse one. We don't know. But with, with Jesus, right, we need a priest who's eternal. We need a holy priest, but one who has conquered death. One who will never be replaced by a bad priest. And so we need a sinless priest. We need an eternal priest. And he also says we need a priest who could atone for our sins. That is, 
a priest who can actually deal with what has separated us from God. So this is what the end of chapter 7 is saying. We need this kind of priest. Chapter 8, verse 1, that is the priest you have. We have this high priest, this sort of high priest who is holy, sinless, and has offered a sacrifice that has pleased God and has dealt with your sin. And because we have that sort of high priest, believer, I want you to approach God boldly this week. I want you to draw near to him boldly because Jesus is your high priest. But not only this. Believer, I want you to approach God boldly this week because Jesus is the priest who is in a better temple. He serves in a better temple. Look at verse 2 with me. He is Jesus, that is, he's a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So the author of Hebrews, right, he's writing to people who were, uh, were con converts to Judaism or they were Jewish believers. They heard about Jesus and confessed Jesus and started to follow Jesus. But they knew the Old Testament so well and they knew that if you had a priest, he had to offer a sacrifice in a temple. Not any temple, but the temple that the Lord set up. The, the very temple that God said, I want this to be the place where my name will dwell and where my sacrifices will be offered. And so the Jewish believers, they would have said, well, Jesus didn't offer a sacrifice in that temple. How, how is his sacrifice acceptable to God if he didn't offer a sacrifice in the temple where, where sacrifices were supposed to be made? And so what this author of Hebrews is saying, verse 4, he agrees with that. He says, if he was an earthly priest, if he were a priest on earth, he wouldn't have been a priest at all. Because he didn't offer his sacrifice in that temple, in the old covenant temple. But, he says, he offered his sacrifice in the true temple. See, the temple was a representation of God's presence. It was a symbol of God's presence on earth. And so when you'd offer a sacrifice... In God's presence, God would accept the sacrifice, and there'd be peace with the people and with God again. But Jesus, he was crucified. He offered his sacrifice outside the camp, not even, not even near the temple. And so how does this work? Well, maybe I could help with, with this. What if, what if I tell you I have a really nice car? Is anyone into cars? Does anyone like cars? Does anyone like old cars? Oh, Jeff's hand went down on the old cars. <laughs> what if I were to tell you I had a 67 Mustang? Deep blue. Paint is fresh, sharp. You call me a liar. <laughs> Dark blue. It's got the old, it's hard top. I don't like the, I don't like the soft tops. Uh, it's a Hot Wheel. Um, <laughs> now... Yeah, so you see the Hot Wheel, right? It looks like the real thing. It's smaller. It's, it can't drive in it, but it represents. When you see the Hot Wheel, you know, oh, yeah, I know what that car's supposed to look like. That's, you're pointing me to a real Mustang. You see, the, the earthly tabernacle that Moses set up, 
It's like the Hot Wheel version of God's presence. It was like the Hot It was a model. It was a replica. It was there to say, this is what you're looking forward to. This is a representation. In the words of Hebrews, he says, it's a copy and a shadow of God's presence. But it wasn't the very, very presence of God without any copy or shadow. And Jesus, though he didn't offer his sacrifice in the Hot Wheel temple, he offered his sacrifice in the true temple, in God's very presence. And being in God's very presence, he offered a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. And so, believer, I want you to draw near to God this week because Jesus offered his sacrifice in God's very presence, in the better temple, the one that the Lord made and not man. Now, finally, believer, I want you to approach God boldly because Jesus is a mediator of a better covenant. Jesus is a mediator of a better covenant. Look at verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So, Jesus is a mediator of a better covenant, and really the next uh, couple weeks, or he's going to be talking about this covenant even more. But Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. So, we need to understand, if we're going to get the full impact of what this verse is doing for our souls, what this passage is doing for our souls, we need to understand what covenants are in the Bible. We need to understand what a covenant is so that we could realize the glory of what we have in this new covenant. Now, some of you may have uh, seen people before, a boy, girl, spend a lot of time together, they laugh together, they hang out together, they're taking pictures on uh, Instagram or whatever social media together, but they're not dating, right? They're not, they're not an item, they're not official. Well, at some point, you got to define the relationship. At some point, you got to say, what are we doing here, right? Where are we in this relationship? you got to define the relationship. And covenants, that's like having a DTR, defining the relationship with God. That's what a covenant is. It is where God says, here is how I'm going to be in relationship with you. Now, covenants in the Bible are always initiated by God, and they're always initiated by God and given to people, and they always come with some regulations, like here's how we're going to live for this relationship to work out. Here's how we're going to have to do this thing. And it's like the wedding day. Right? You're there, you have a, a man and a woman, and they covenant together. They promise to live together. They promise to be together. But that promise doesn't come without regulations. And those are your vows. You make vows to each other. I will be with you. I will be for you. I will be faithful to you. I will love you. I will sacrifice for you. And so covenants like that are, are in the Bible, God initiates it. God establishes them. God says, I want to be in relationship with you. Now, covenants are always initiated by God. We don't make covenants with the Lord. God, in his mercy, says, I want to make a covenant with you. There's nothing that we do that would make God say, they deserve a covenant. It's all God's mercy to say, I want to be in relationship with you. And he does this with people. He does this with individuals. He does this with, in the old covenant, the nation of Israel. And he told the nation of Israel, this is the old covenant. 
I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. He makes this covenant with them, and he says, here's all I want you to do. Ten simple commands, you know, love me, honor your parents, don't covet, you know, the good old Ten Commandments. And that's how we're going to relate. And if you obey, you're going to have all the blessings in the world. All the blessings God has to offer will be given to them. If they disobey, all the curses would come upon them. And so the Old Covenant came with these three elements. God initiated it. He initiated it with the people. And finally, he gave them the laws of how they were to relate to each other. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Now, there was a problem, though, with that old covenant. Look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the author of Hebrews, he's looking at the prophet Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah promises a new covenant. And he's saying that means the first one had to have a problem with it. This first way of relating to God, this first covenant, had to have some sort of flaw in it. But notice that he doesn't say the flaw was with God who made the covenant. And the flaw wasn't with the, with the laws of blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. The problem wasn't there. Verse 8, he finds fault with them. The problem was the people. It wasn't the holy God or his righteous rules and laws. The problem was with the people. The people had a sinful and rebellious heart. Look, look at verse 9. The covenant that he made, that God made with the Israelites, when he took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, is a covenant that they did not continue in. That is, they were disobedient. They were unfaithful. They were like a spouse who commits adultery on their beloved. They were unfaithful to the covenant. The problem was with them. I worked in a school system for, for several years, and anyone who, who works in schools, they know that oftentimes when a class is out of control, when you have problems in the classroom, it's not the teacher, and it's not the rules that the teacher has given. It's the kids, right? Like, it's, it's the students. It's the sinful human heart that rebels against God. That is a problem that needs to be dealt with, and that is a problem that the, new, or that the old covenant didn't deal with, was having a new heart. And so, verse 10, he says this, This is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That is, he's going to change their heart. So instead of having a heart that wants to rebel against God and reject God and deny God and sin against God and his righteous rules, you have a new heart, a heart that desires to obey. You have a heart that's changed. You're changed from the inside out. Here is the first blessing of the new covenant is that God says, the problem with the old was the people. I'm going to change the people. I'm going to address the problem square on. I'm going to give my law into their hearts. I will dwell with them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Not only this, the new covenant comes with universal knowledge of God. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, you had some people in Israel who were faithful to God. They were faithful followers. They were called the remnant, the few, the not many. There wasn't a whole lot of them. At one point, Prophet Elijah thought he was the only one. And so the people in the Old Covenant, only some of them knew the Lord. And that's why they had to have all these prophets telling the people, know the Lord, return to the Lord. In the New Covenant, they will not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, 
for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. That is, everyone in the new covenant has this blessing of having a renewed heart where now you know God and you have this relationship with God. And why is this? Why is this? Why is it that God would choose to enter into this kind of covenant with you? Verse 12, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. It is because of the mercy of God that he has entered into this covenant with you. See, this new covenant, it has God who initiates it. God says, I am going to be merciful towards these people. I want this relationship with them. I want them to be my people. I'm going to enter into covenant with them, and I'm going to be merciful towards them and forgive their sins, forgive their iniquities. You see, the new covenant also comes with blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. The only difference is that all the blessings in the heavenly places are yours in Christ Jesus because Jesus was obedient. Because he obeyed God in every way, you receive all the blessings. And because we are still sinful, our sins still need to be dealt with, All the curses that we deserve for our sins were born on his body on the tree when he died for you and me to take the wrath of God, to take all the curses that we deserve. He took them for you so that they could be remembered no more. This is his mercy towards you. And this is why this covenant is so much better than the first. Now, I began this time saying, Everybody needs a priest. And I had asked, you know, some of you, if you had thought that you didn't need a priest. I I hope, even in this short time, that, that you're starting to believe that you do. And I want all of us to know that Jesus is that priest. That the very priest we need is the very priest that we have. That you could approach God boldly this week. You could have a relationship with God this week. You could draw near, not having to fear if he's going to reject you. Not having to wonder if he's going to hear your prayers. Not going to have to to doubt about whether or not he'll be merciful to you. You could be confident of this because Jesus is your priest who serves in the very presence of God and has given you a better covenant, the new covenant, where all your sins are dealt with. Remember no more. And God is with you, transforming your heart so that you desire to follow Him. And because of His mercy towards us, because of His forgetting our sins, we all now can be merciful towards one another as we seek to grow in holiness and follow Jesus together. So believer, approach God boldly this week because Jesus is your priest. Because Jesus is a priest who serves in God's presence. And because Jesus has given you a better covenant. Let's pray. Our Father, how kind you are to us. God, how good you have been to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our priest. Jesus, thank you for offering the sacrifice of yourself so that we can have a restored relationship with the God who made us for himself and for his glory. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us this week to draw near to you, that we would not let our lives and our failures in life prevent us from drawing near, because you have already accepted us.
through the sacrifice of Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you for your priestly work and for giving us a better covenant. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.